Our scripture reading today comes from Ecclesiastes 9, 2 through 6. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, there are things in life that are so universal, they're so obvious to pretty much everyone uh, that almost no one disagrees with them. Uh, things like the toilet paper roll goes on like this. Everybody knows that. This is actually a patent from, for toilet paper. So if you do, do it this way, you've been doing it wrong for hundreds of years. Uh, things like dogs are better than cats, and it's not close. Uh, yeah, it's not. Everybody knows it. And finally, the knowledge that life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. This is something you realize at three years old, right? You say, that kid got more ice cream than I did. That's not fair. And it never stops. Over and over again, you're like, that girl was talking in class, and then I was talking in class, but only I got in trouble. Only I got caught. I do more chores only because I'm the oldest kid in the family, right? Kids, you guys know this better than anyone, but that's a lesson that we don't stop learning as adults. There are moments in all of our lives when someone says to us, despite our real anger or pain or frustration, whether it's mom or dad or brother or sister or boss or whoever, right? We bring our concern to them and they say, hey, life isn't fair. And sometimes that's just an important life lesson, and it's just relatively innocent. Like, that person got the bigger half of the cookie we were trying to split in half. But other times, that knowledge that life isn't fair, it's downright awful. It's tragic, even. And it's question-begging. It's disconcerting, and it's disorienting, maybe even scary for us. If life isn't fair, then what's the point? If you've been with us these last few weeks, you won't be surprised to learn that Kohelet, who's the main teaching voice, speaking voice in the book of Ecclesiastes that we just read from, wants us to reckon with this idea of unfairness, which we could even call injustice, that seems to permeate human life and experience. So if you have your Bible... I want us to look at the book of Ecclesiastes. Use your table of contents if you have to get there. Chapter 9. And Kohelet is going to point out three observations here, three principles 
to understand the nature of justice and fairness in this life. And then we're going to talk about how we respond to them, okay? So Kohelet starts this way. This is verse 2. This is what we just read in chapter 9. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Now here's another way of making the point that Kohelet is making here, okay? And this may sound crass, but it gets the point across. What do Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, and Harriet Tubman all have in common? They're all dead. That's what they have in common. And you're thinking, thanks, Andrew, I'm glad I got up early this morning to hear that lesson. Helpful. But if that doesn't make, here, if that doesn't make your skin crawl just a little bit, it's because we haven't thought hard enough about what Kohelet is saying. Kohelet, as he is going to point out uh, again in verse 3, he's lo- or we, actually we just read it, he's looking for meaning and truth and satisfaction under the sun. This has been a major theme throughout the book. This is Kohelet's metaphor. It's, it's a word picture of human life without reference to God. It is not terribly different from what we would mean by the word secular. That, that is human life in the here and the now, in what we can see and taste and touch and, he, and, and hear and smell, without any acknowledgement of an afterlife or a divine maker, nothing. It's, it's life under the sun. And this is where his point becomes more profound. He's pointing out to a great evil in human existence, that the moral quality of our lives, if all we have is this life, seems to have absolutely no bearing at all on our destiny. Maybe another way of putting that, Kohelet's pointing out that no matter who we are, we all dig the same grave. We have the same end. And that's not fair. That's not just, is it? There's something, actually, if you really meditate on this idea, there's something absolutely repulsive about the thought that pretty much everybody has the same destiny, that no, nobody wants to believe that, fundamentally. It doesn't matter if we're a sinner or a saint or a liar or a truth teller, a voice for the oppressed or the worst oppressors in modern human history. This has to matter, and yet, no matter How well or poorly history may remember you, Kohelet knows your heart will stop beating. Your breath will leave you just the same. Now that should make us a little mad. That inner three-year-old's like, that's not fair. That's not fair. And it should actually do more than make us a little mad. It should make us concerned, frightened even. Because Kohelet, thousands of years ago, is pointing out a profound truth that we continue to lose sight of even in the modern world. It's a truth echoed by Immanuel Kant, who's the philosopher of the 18th century, who pointed out he had a whole theory of ethics and right and wrong, and he pointed out that for there to be any real and lasting justice in human life, three things needed to be true. First, there needed to be free will. Second, There needed to be immortality. There had to be life beyond this one. 
And third, there had to be a divine judge who could actually decide right and wrong. Without any of those three things, there is no such thing as justice as we mean that word. Justice, if this life is all that there is and and we all end as the same worm food, justice is just a word. It's nothing. It's sound and fury. This is Kohelet's point. Under the sun... There can be no justice because death wipes all meaning and memory of our actions away, good or bad. That's verse 5. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. That's not fair. It's all wiped away. Now, you may say in return, well, sure, that's true, right? Death is this great equalizer under the sun about of human life. But it's still better to be good in this life than bad, right? That's still a better life, a more meaningful life. Here's the deal. This is what I've learned as I've studied Ecclesiastes. You have to get up really early in the morning to outthink Kohelet. He's already got an answer for you. Even if you're here and you think, yeah, you know, we all die, but it's still better to be good than bad. Okay, here's what he said, verse 11. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Kohelet says, even in this life, The outcomes of human existence seem totally random. The fastest do not always win the race. The strongest do not always win the war. The wisest and the smartest don't generally always receive reward. And the nicest can still finish last. Here's how I would put it. Here's how I would summarize it. We roll the same dice. We all roll the same dice. And that isn't fair either. It's not. And there's two major culprits here that Kohelet points out. He says there's time and there's chance. It's like a bookmaker in Las Vegas. That's what they specialize in, right? He's simply pointing out that being strong and smart and wise and good will not consistently beat the odds in the game of life under the sun. For every good, smart person who achieves moderate success in life, Kohelet can point to a fool Or an evil or selfish person who rises to the top as well. Say, look, explain that. Tit for tat. If you make the sample size big enough, even in this life, there isn't as strong a correlation between success and goodness as we would like for there to be. You can get hot at the craps table, but the dice are fickle and they are based on no device or skill of the roller. Random. They're just dice. And eventually, time and chance will get you. Verse 12, for man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Kohelet says humans are are more alike to fish and birds who one day for no reason at all, can get caught in a net or trapped in a snare 
And whatever contribution they were trying to make to the world is over in an instant. They lose everything or their body breaks down or they die or whatever. The good, the bad, and the ugly, they roll the same dice. And that's not fair. That doesn't add up. And even if you can do something good, you can do something just under the sun before the grave or the snare finds you, you've got yet another problem. And Kohelet, he gives this weird little parable to illustrate his point. This is verse 14. He says, There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege work against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Like I said, that's kind of weird, right? You have to think on that parable a little bit. But the elements are pretty clear. Kohelet says there's a big bad king who has all the power. He's like an oppressor is the idea. He's not a good guy. And he surrounds this little, he, you know, he emphasizes how little and small and poor this city is. It does not have much. It's vulnerable. And the situation looks really, really hopeless. Right, just given those parameters, you, if you're a betting person, you'd bet against this town surviving, and this is just another story of the powerful taking advantage of the powerless it's, it's and evil winning. But wait, Kohelet says there's a hero in town. He's, po- he's a poor, wise man, and he's going to accomplish justice and save the city from destruction. We don't know how, but it doesn't matter. He saves the town, and everybody rejoiced and he was remembered forever, except no. Kohelet says that's not what happens. He says no one remembered this guy for the good that he did. And worse than that, eventually he's rejected and punished for seeking justice. His wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. He's punished for doing the right thing, it seems, and his victory is short-lived and is quickly forgotten. And eventually he's despised as a wrongdoer for doing the right thing. And Kohelet, he's trying to make a case here. You can hear him going back and forth that that despite all of that, this guy still did the right thing and his quiet wisdom is indeed better than the shouting of a ruler among fools, but he ends this way and it's devastating. He says, one sinner, one evil person destroys much good. Whatever good this poor man wise man did. All it takes is one fool to come along and undo all of it. And someone else will have to save that city, and who knows how it's going to go that time around. No matter what we do, we find that under the sun we will fight the same fights all over again. This is his point. The progress we seem to make in issues of justice and fairness and equity, they just don't seem to last as long as we had hoped. And the battles we thought we'd won need to be fought again and again and again. And it reminds me of something Martin Luther King pointed out uh, in his struggle 
for civil rights at the end of Jim Crow, uh, Jim Crow era, which is, you could say is our own modern evil king encircling the small town. It's our own parable here. And this was years after his, his famous I Have a Dream speech and, and not long before he was, he was assassinated. But he said this in an interview about his lifelong pursuit of justice and fairness for African Americans. Here's what he said. He said, I must confess that dream that I had that day has in many points turned into a nightmare. Now, I'm not one to lose hope. I keep on hoping. I still have faith in the future, but I've had to analyze many things over the last few years. And I would say over the last few months, I've gone through a lot of soul-searching and agonizing moments. And I've come to see that we have many more difficult days ahead. And some of the old optimism was a little bit superficial. And now it must be tempered with a solid realism. And I think the realistic fact is that we still have a long, long way to go. Kohelet is nodding along. It's like, yeah, that's right. He knew that the path to justice is longer and slower than any of us want. And even when we can point to obvious progress in ethnic relations in the United States, since this quote, again, we find ourselves mourning for more acts of hatred in a grocery store in Buffalo and a Taiwanese church in Orange County. It's like, God help us, when does this stop? And we may be tempted to conclude with the preacher, like, vanity of vanities. This is meaningless. This is hopeless. But we would be wrong to do that. And this is the interesting thing about reading Ecclesiastes. So Kohelet is right in his observations of life under the sun. But we know that life isn't just under the sun. There is a God who cares about fairness and justice and setting the world right. We have a God who does see and will judge. So I want us to do some synthesizing here. Okay, how do we pursue biblical justice and fairness as followers of Jesus in a Kohelet kind of world? How do we bring these together? And we could say a lot here, but just I want to share just a few thoughts. Okay, first, justice matters deeply to God despite the obvious evil in the world. They are both true. Kohelet has helped us to see the latter, the evil, the obvious evil in the world and injustice. But we have to remember the former. That Hebrew uh, mishpat, which we, is translated justice uh, in uh, the Old Testament, oh, it's over, it occurs over 200 times. It's a very important word in the Old Testament. And a close relative to mishpat, it's tzedakah, which is righteousness is common as well. These two words, they often go together, justice and righteousness. And for God's people, righteousness and justice work together to reveal God's character to a watching and broken world, a Kohelet world. It's part of our witness to model these ideas and how we interact with one another and advocate for others. This is very important to God. Justice and righteousness in the Bible are two sides of the same coin, and it's important that we understand this. So justice is more than this. I, I can't go into everything justice means in the Bible, but it is at least the concept of righting wrongs, that God cares about that. It's like the rules of the game and the referee to enforce them. That's what justice is. When someone does something wrong, there's a penalty, 
and the offended party is compensated with 15 yards or two free throws or whatever, right? To help right the wrong. That's a little oversimplified, but it's close. Righteousness is playing the game in such a way that if everybody played the way you did, there would be no need for referees. It's proactive. It's generous care for our neighbor. It's doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And together, these ideas summarize how God's people are to live, especially in a world divided and broken by injustice and unrighteousness. This is why Christ's community partners with organizations uh, across our, even our campuses, organizations like Advice and Aid. This is a big justice topic right now. They serve uh, families uh, who are pregnant and are vulnerable, right? Not only to advocate for the unborn, for good laws and rules to protect the innocent, which is justice, but also to come alongside parents who, for whatever reason, whether that's economic or social or whatever, they feel abandoned and incapable of raising a child on their own without help. See, that's righteousness. They work together to demonstrate who God is. Despite the apparent and overwhelming evil in the world, we know God cares about justice, and we know it's our responsibility as God's people to work for justice in our time and place, no matter how overwhelming it may feel. Which brings us to this, our next thought. It's okay, second, justice looks small and is often slow. This is where we have to hear Kohelet. He pointed this out again and again, but we have to be careful that this does not lead us to despair. Because again, we know that God cares, and that even when it feels helpless, we are not without hope. But our expectations and our hopes for progress, as good as they are, must be grounded in the realism that Kohelet has pointed out. And that realism actually makes us wiser, makes us better. So, for example, if Christ's community, we'll just talk about ourselves here for a minute. If Christ's community decided one day to try to go out and solve all the issues of poverty all around the world, we would certainly fail. We would not be able to do it. As important as that is, as much as that matters to us, we could not possibly solve it. The scale is too big, the problem's too large, the time required is too long, we won't live to see that happen. But what we can do is partner with the Hope Center and Cristo Rey and Care Portal and Restoration House who are serving under-resourced and vulnerable groups of people in the small, slow work of justice. These are wonderful groups of people who are like-minded with us in their pursuit of God's design for justice who do work that is proximate to us that we can actually help with. And if you're not familiar, I mean, we're, they do work like providing quality education in neighborhoods that for lots and lots of reasons, both historical and present, have unfairly bad schools for kids who don't have any other option. Work like serving victims of human trafficking who in the name of unspeakable evil have been uh, stolen away and robbed of so much. Work like providing for foster parents and foster children who are just one layoff or car problem away from not being able to pay rent and their lives being totally upended. 
things in life, in other words, that should not be, that are unfair, but that are real. And we get to be a part of that, as small and as slow as sometimes it may feel. And all of those organizations will remind us that that work is small and slow. And we have to be realistic about what we can accomplish over time, but together, we are moving forward. We know, right, we know there's life over the sun. We know even that with the cycles of justice and injustice that appear to wash over human history like a tide, in and out and in and out, we know that that may appear meaningless at times, but that's not true. We know that progress is actually possible and that justice and righteousness, like the tortoise who eventually beats the hare, it's going to win in the end. And we know something else too. We know something else too. And we actually forget this a lot in conversations like this, okay? Grace changes everything. Grace changes everything. Kohelet is not trying to talk about grace. Again, he's, he's trying to disturb us, as he should. But we know uniquely, as Jesus followers, that we cannot talk about justice without talking about grace. Because God's ultimate answer to the unfairnesses and the injustices of the world is grace. His answer to our suffering and our oppression, his answer to our, uh, our need for justice and our inability to be just was not to condemn the world, which was his right, but was actually to enter our world and to suffer alongside of us and to die a cruel and unjust death in our place. Okay, those may sound like ideas you've heard before. But we cannot forget that they change everything. We do not confront evil and injustice in the world with hatred and violence. As others have done. We do not uh, berate our enemies with slurs and name calling or hateful speech. Even when that speech has been directed to us. Our weapons in this life are grace and forgiveness, love and truth, compassion and commitment, as Jesus modeled to us. If judgment were our only hope, we would be undone. The judgment that we crave, right, that that feeling that life isn't fair and someone ought to do something about it, that fairness that we need would require our own judgment which we could not survive. But because of grace, our judgment has passed on to Jesus. And instead, we are accepted on the basis of grace, which is the unmerited gift of God's love. Which which does and must change our hearts to do justice in this life, as God calls us to do. But it is grace that can never be earned. It can only be accepted. This life, Kohelet is not wrong. This life is not fair. There are evils and injustices in this life that feel unchangeable. They feel unbeatable. They feel intractable. It's not fair. And it's often overwhelming when we take a step back and look at the evil in the world. 
And we know our interconnectedness, our ability to see things all over the globe at one time has only made this worse. It's overwhelming how much evil and injustice there is in the world. And there will be times we are tempted because of that to throw our hands in the air, to say vanity of vanities. This is a meaningless work. The unfairness, the injustice, it's too much. The evil, it's too much. But the only thing, we have to remember this, especially as uniquely as, as Jesus' people, the only thing more overwhelming than life's unfairness, the only thing bigger than evil and injustice in the final analysis is the unfairness of grace. And thank God for that. Let's pray now. Father, as your people, we, we confess that there are times when the unfairness, the apparent unfairness and injustice of our own lives and of the world around us can tempt us to believe that you are not there, that you do not care, that you don't see, that you don't understand. And that in our hearts, there are times, like Kohelet, we may say, vanity of vanities. There is no justice. There is no hope for us. We confess those things. Speak to us now, Father. Remind us, Holy Spirit, that your son Jesus was not immune to these realities. He does, not, he does not give us every answer that we want, but your son does give us the answer that we need, which is, yes, you do care. Yes, you do understand. Yes, you are doing something about this broken world. And the same grace and the same forgiveness and the same power that changed our lives is at work all over the world for your glory and your kingdom. So Jesus, we pray, come Lord Jesus, come and be with us in this work of justice and make us a righteous people to shine in a dark world. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.